Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But today, we finish our series Sex on Sundays. And if you're visiting or you haven't been here for the series, please catch up with the series because it is one of those things that if you don't get some of the foundation principles of the truth that we're speaking, you might struggle with some of the journey we take now. But I've got more courage and more conviction around speaking to an area like sexuality. And I believe the church should be leading the way in speaking those things. We've actually taken a little bit of heat about speaking on an area like sexuality, maybe calling it sex on Sundays. I don't know. Maybe that was part of it. But we want to engage our world with truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not some irrelevant reality to a world that's on its own journey. And on a Sunday, if they're looking for a a fix, they can go to church. No, Jesus has answers and truth and life in every area of life. And God created sex. And God is a good God who gave a good gift called sexuality. And in the fallen and brokenness and sin, it got corrupted. And our job as the church is to keep bringing heaven to earth in every area of life. You see, we can be the church that sends money to the nations and not go on a journey of allowing transformation to come in areas like sexuality in our lives. The thing I've appreciated most about this series is some of the things that have come to the surface. It's like when we speak about it in the pulpit, it enables people to have conversations outside of the pulpit. And married couples, where it actually hasn't been great for a long time, have started to have conversations and go on restoration journeys. And other people where things like an amazing testimony of a young man, he gets up last week and shares a testimony of courage about abuse. And you know him as a confident young man who would stand up in front of crowds and speak easily. And yet in the background story, there was a journey of restoration in the love and the grace of God. God wants to do that over and over and over again. And he needs to give us his language and his words and his grid for life. Sex is an amazing gift given by an amazing, amazing king. But I want to speak today as we land something of the series of don't play with fire. Is that okay? Don't play with fire. It's that thing you always tell your kids. We, um, we've taken to camping in the Western Cape. It's really cheap and my kids just get on with it. And even sleeping in a tent is an adventure for them. So it's epic for us. Trying to keep my kids in a house is a nightmare. In the wild is epic. Just stay within a two kilometer radius is good parenting to me. Is that not? So some of you are like, no, that's not good. Okay, we can talk after. We'll do a parenting series. But, um, but, but it's, it's this lesson you teach your kids is don't play with fire. My little boy, Ben, had a favorite rubber dinosaur. He loved this dinosaur. You see, we're from Durban. We don't know things called gas heaters. Those are foreign things to us. They are not things that you use in Durban. If you use that in Durban, you die in your house. It's literally like, it's too hot. But we got a gas heater, and one day my wife was in the kitchen, And Ben was in the TV room, which is just around the corner, and he ran past her, looked at her with big eyes, and if you know Ben, he's got really big blue eyes, ran past her and ran outside and stood outside like this, looking at her. So she knew something was up. So she said, Ben, what's happening? And he just stood there like this, until she smelled something. And Ben had stuck his rubber dinosaur into the gas heater. It had caught a light, so he put it on a plastic table that was on a carpet, polyester, whatever that is, it burnable, and there was a little fire in our lounge as Ben stood outside. He didn't shout fire, he just, and then Ben was very inconsolable because his dinosaur was a blob of melted rubber. 
fire is dangerous. Fire has amazing effects and, and has incredible realities to it. It can warm you up in winter. It can allow us to cook food. It, it is protection from wild animals. It's all those amazing things, but it's also unbelievably destructive. We love the kind of fire like this. We gather around the fire. We warm up. It's controlled within walls. It brings life, and a little fire in the corner of a room can warm up a whole house. It's amazing. But there's also the potential of fire that is chaotic that we know in our city like this. A mountain on fire. I remember looking up one day, seeing that on the go, and I was reminded of the incredible potential of this thing that we take for granted, but outside of boundaries, out with the wind blowing and without its right protection, it causes chaos. And the same thing that heals and brings life is the same thing that destroys and brings death. Sexuality is no different. It's a fire. It's a fire that burns. It's a fire given to us by God, called to operate within the mandates of His Word, called to operate within the boundaries of His Word, and within those boundaries, it brings life, it brings healing, it brings wholeness, it reveals the glory of God in so many amazing ways. But outside of that, it is a forest fire burning down a mountain. And actually, maybe it's blowing out there, and maybe we think it's controllable, and maybe we think the wind will change, or we're looking for conditions. But it's just a forest fire that's going to cause chaos. Proverbs 6 verse 7 says this, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without clothes being burnt? So we thought we'd do an Illustration for you, Wayne? No, we're not going to do that. We, that. we know the answer to that. Can a, a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt? I'm not so worried about my clothes being burnt. I'm worried about everything being burnt. I had a wife, she got burnt by water in England once when we were ministering in England. A waitress poured boiling water, so she had to spend a week in a, in a burn specialist hospital. In the room next door to her was a man. He was a driver, a truck driver, and his truck had capsized. It was a paint, full of paint, and the paint had ignited. And to get away from the fire, he had to crawl through. The result was his organs were failing one by one, as 80% of his body was gone. And we would hear him weep and wail in the middle of the night as the pain got into areas as his body began to shut down. Fire is destructive. And as we speak into this area of sexuality, we understand there's this reality of temptation. And there's this naive understanding sometimes in the church that if I'm good with God, temptation will not find me. It's not true. You just got to look at David, King David, worshiper David, a guy who knew God's heart, a guy who found victory after victory, and a high point of his ministry takes a relax on the veranda, looks down, sees Bathsheba, falls for her, calls her to him, has a baby with her, has her husband killed, it causes chaos. Why? Because temptation is not exempt to those who are not attending church. Those whose marriage is good. It's like my marriage is good. Great sex life, so we don't struggle with temptation. No, not true. We get Samson and Del good old Delilah, and all his muscles in the world couldn't help him against the seduction of Delilah and the temptations that came into the world. We, we speak, and, and what the Bible calls adultery, it's a big word, it's like adultery. Who uses adultery at dinner parties, like the word? No, we use words like affair. It sounds light and fluffy. It's just an affair. It's, uh, you know, it's nice sounding. It's inviting. It's almost wrapped in mystery, and, and it's just an affair. It's, it's so inviting that some psychologists would even advocate it in terms of health for people's lives. If you want to go on a journey, actually go on this. 
it's so inviting that 37 million people signed up to a website called Ashley Madison, where the payoff line is, life is short, have an affair. A registered little trademark. Life is short, have an affair. And if we understand these things, we understand that 27%, when it got exposed and the scam of Ashley Madison got exposed and people got inside, 27% of the people on the list of Ashley Madison who'd paid up were evangelical Christians in America. 27%. And it goes on and there's more people. Oh, let's go through that picture quick. It's big on the big screen. And um, adultery <laughs> is just put up there. Adultery. Just let's give a definition. Intercourse with someone who isn't a marriage spouse. Start your adventure. Sounds enticing, eh? Start your adventure. Who wants to go on adventure? I like adventures. I really do. I like adventures. I'm an adventurous guy. I want to climb mountains. I want to paddle rivers. I want to go deep into the sea. I'm an adventurous guy. There's something of an appeal that's cleverly understood in the behind-the-scenes marketing of Ashley Madison that understands the heart of man, and it's not exclusive to those who aren't in church or those who don't believe Jesus. No, well, the stats tell us that. And there's, this is not one isolated website. As I started a research last night with my wife, just telling you, she was in the room. NoStringsAffair.com, MySecretAffairs.com. This is how that one pictures itself. If you feel trapped in a loveless and monotonous marriage or relationship, and if you miss the magic of eroticism, erotism, passion, lust, and excitement, My Secret Affairs can help you. My Secret Affairs is a completely anonymous dating website for married people looking for discreet and safe, prearranged secret love affairs with no commitment. Looking for an affair? Join for free and meet men and women from all over the world looking for an affair. We can hide our head in the sand and deny that it's not happening, but it's happening. And we have to have language for it. We have to have big hearts for it to engage people of where they're at in the world that they're a part of. Thank you, Nick. And, and part of it that, that, again, it's this hidden head in the sand type thing that this isn't happening in the church. This is a sore thing for me, my two best mates, both in leadership and churches. Had affairs. I've had to be a part of picking up the mess behind. We had a house in Durban. My one friend's family had to live in my house at, at expense to a lot of people because he just went on a very selfish journey with a lot of self-justification and a lot of behind-the-scenes chaos. And the Bible speaks clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. It doesn't say rationalize it, doesn't say play games with it, doesn't say entertain it, doesn't say if you stick around, you might work out how to defeat it. No, the Bible says flee. And as we navigate this journey, I want to look at quickly at the life of Joseph, who is an amazing guy in the Bible. And we all sing his Technicolor dream coat as the highlight. But Joseph is this young man in Genesis 39 or Genesis, and, and he goes on this journey. He encounters God. God's favor is upon him at a young age. His dad gives him a dream coat. You know the story. His brothers sell him into slavery. He ends up working for Potiphar, who's a serious lani in the time. And he's in part of his house working. And temptation comes in a big way. And why this story? Not just strategies on dealing with Potiphar. I, I, I think the story is amazing because a man faces up to a, a massive temptation, which he could have rationalized, and ends up that he wins the battle, has an incredibly influential life in a foreign land. I want to tell you that on the other side of our winning battles of temptation, in public or in private, there is inheritance. 
I'm using this guy's story because on the other side of a very big temptation in his life that he won because he trusted God and ran to God's ways, there was an incredible inheritance. There is an inheritance on us overcoming the temptations of this world. Do we get that? Good. I want to read from Genesis 39. I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's a cool story. Someone um, got one or two big emails about us speaking about sex. And I just said, have you read the Bible? Sex is everywhere. There's scriptures like don't sleep with your mother-in-law because people were. There are all these weird scenarios. I went, why? Because man has an appetite to go down the wrong road a lot. And we have to speak God's truth and life into errors. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Remember, his brothers sold him into slavery. This guy should have issues, like big issues. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favors in his, favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, because in the house and in the field, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, like Wayne, kind of you need an image, like Wayne. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. He refused, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, see, temptation is not just a one-off thing. It's a day-after-day thing sometimes. He refused to go to bed with her or even, yeah, to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Scene was set. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her assistant and said, Look, she said to the men, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept the cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When the master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Six times the Lord was with him. Whether it was good or whether he was in prison, the Lord was with him. Whether he was 
engaging in leading affairs of a household or engaging in leading affairs in a prison, the Lord was with him. An incredible promise to those who will navigate life with God's lens. And I want to give you a couple points, but right up front, I want to just tell you temptation doesn't play by the rules. Well, what do I mean? Well, was Joseph the prime target for this? I mean, sometimes we think, well, that person's more susceptible. They're in that environment. I worked for many years in a marketing environment where most of the people in the environment were 25 to 30 and not male. Confident and in a whole environment, we used to travel internationally. I had to have a whole bunch of things under the way to understand who is God and what is going on. You've got to understand that it's not just about being susceptible. It's about being someone that if you're counting for God, temptation is coming. It's coming. Prepare yourself. Understand it. Recognize it. Have eyes to see. And Joseph made this huge success of life, not because of his skill. He made a huge success of life because God was with him. And everywhere he went, God was with him. A promise to us today. And again, I'm going to say it, there's this weird Christian thought that if I'm good with God and I'm at church and I'm involved in temptation's not coming. No, wrong. Temptation's coming. And I want to prepare you for that. I want to understand Joseph could have rationalized it in so many ways. Shall I give you just some that I could dream of? Because we are the masters of self-justification. We are the masters of rationalizing bad things. Anyone agree with me? A little like, not me. Now, if I was Joseph, here's some of the thoughts that in that split second or the days of temptation, this is what would have gone through my head. What, does, what do I owe God? He'd been sold into slavery by his brothers because of a dream God gave him. Here he's sitting in a mansion. He's going, what do I owe God? Anyone else think that might be a valid one? What about, um, who would know? I mean, let's be honest. This amazing lady sent everyone out the house. No one does that in these times. There are servants everywhere. She sends everyone out the house. She captures them. He sees there's no one here, just her. She's not going to tell anyone who would know. What about everybody's doing it? You see, this guy's taken into a pagan culture where this stuff is rife and rampant. It's normal. It's the new normal of his day that masters and mistresses would sleep with the servants in their house. It was normal in that culture. So Joseph could have gone, well, everybody's doing it. He could have also said that, uh, well, I don't go looking for it. It's coming to me. It's like the guy who gets in the fight. said, I don't go looking for it. It's coming to me. Or the guys, I just fell into the bed. No, you didn't fall into the bed. You walked through 17 doors, up four steps, through a bathroom in this. You didn't fall, nothing. You walk through opportunities and you understand that actually it doesn't come looking for you. Well, maybe Joseph could have gone with the Bible tells us he's a good looking dude. He could just go, well, God, you made me beautiful. It's not my fault. Can't really even blame her. You made me this way. Just saying, maybe one. Or he could have gone, well, she's lonely. Here's what you got to understand about Potiphar. He was probably a eunuch. He was probably, because he worked in the master's army, he, he, in those people in those same, they would have had no authority to engage any of the kings and the princesses and that, and he was probably, most commentators would agree, a eunuch. So here you've got a lady who's married to a man who cannot make love to her. She's lonely. What about the last one? Again, no one would find out. No one else in the house. Day after day, she spoke. See, temptation always comes with justification. Whatever temptation, not even sexual temptation, all temptation. We have this leaning towards justification. Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, it's just an apple. 
It's just a fruit tree. It's just, just. No, God said don't. It's, but it's so small. I can eat the pears and I can eat the whatever other fruit work for them. See, who would know? Is it really hurting anyone? I, I didn't go looking for it. Well, it's not as bad as. These are the justifications we get good at. But Joseph had a resistance strategy. See, we don't need a defeat strategy. He didn't need to defeat her. He just needed to get out of it. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourself to His ways, to His laws, to His love. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The enemy will flee when we resist, submit ourselves to God, and we resist. He had a resistance strategy. Number one, it says, how then could I do such a, Joseph saying, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? This is Joseph's words to her. He had a biblically informed view of sin. He knew what God's laws were. He knew what his ways were. He knew what was right and he knew what was wrong. See, the challenge is, in our world, if the Bible is not forming what is right and wrong, the world is. And what we then do is we make what's right or wrong in the world's eyes, what's acceptable and not acceptable in God's eyes. And I'm telling you, the two don't always align. God's ways are not our ways. God is not, will not be mocked. And he calls us to navigate a journey where we trust him and navigate in his ways in all these things. Does that make sense? See, Joseph just stands there and he just calls it sin. He says, I will not sin. He has a paradigm where he understands what happened in Genesis 3. He understands the chaos that came into the world. And he says, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to kick into a God system. And as I kick into a God system, I'm going to trust God. What has God's promised him? I am with you always. See, our view of sin has to be aligned with the word of God. If you are reading Google and the Bible according to Google, you will find license for everything and anything. Everything. And I'm telling you, there's a journey back to the Word of God so that our consciences and our feelings and our comparisons that will always make us fall short of the glory of God don't determine our steps. This is real for me. Why I speak about something like temptation and sexual temptation? Oh, Mark, I'm, I'm older. Mark, I'm past that. Mark, I've been there. I won't go back there. No, no, my two best friends. And in the last years of church leadership, you just have to keep your eyes open as there have been accusation of the accusation of heroes in the faith. We've got to understand God's calling us to his view. And Joseph walks that journey. Secondly, Joseph says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? He has a high view of God. He understands who God is. It's not just, well, every time someone approaches me, or I'm just going to flee. No, that's not the only one. You've got to have a paradigm for life as to why you are fleeing. First of all, have a biblical view of sin. Secondly, have a high view of God that actually God is creator of all, sees all. And when you think no one's there, God is there. God's there. He sees. He knows. And um, we have to understand, Joseph says this, Luke says Jesus puts it this way in Luke 8, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Quinton just told me of a scam that's running in South Africa's elite right now. As they get contacted, and the contact says, We've got your passwords, we've been on your, 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 your computer, we've been watching what you've been watching, and we've got your contact list, and we'll send everything you've been watching to all your contacts or pay us in Bitcoin. And people are paying in Bitcoin by the millions. And no one knows about it. Why? 
because everything will be disclosed. And fear comes in that story. And we don't think about it because we don't think about eternity. But the Bible says there will be a day where God will look and see and judge. Not the church and not believers and not those around us. No, God. Because why? Because God is higher then. And Joseph is standing there and he's got belly, babe, I don't know what, how you describe her in front of him, throwing herself at him. And I don't think she came there to that event in T-Savs and like a checky top and like a cap and rugby boots. I don't think that's what she was wearing in that moment, part of his wife. I think she was kitted out for the event. I think she'd been shopping online. She had the perfect thing. She was ready to go. This was the moment. She'd been working him up, seducing him day by day, thought she was working there. But he had a high view of God. Do you have a high view of God? You want a healthy sexuality? Have a high view of God, the creator, maker, and blesser of sexuality and sex. Number three, Joseph had a proper view of others. He says, but he refused. He says, with me in charge, he told him, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. There's an understanding of authority in Joseph's life. He understands that there's authority given to him by God and authority given to him by his pagan boss. And he understands the boundaries of that authority and he will not step beyond. And that makes him blessable. There's a blessability of God when we understand authority in our lives and we submit to it. Not just godly authority, oh, pastor, this leader, that. No, authority in our lives. Do you submit to your boss at work? In a real way. It's healthy. It leads to life. And brings truth to all things. And understand the way we understand authority, we understand our boundaries, there's life. I'm, a, I'm okay, and I'm pro-dating, by the way. I grew up in the era where there's a very famous book, Kiss Dating Goodbye, of which the author has just spent a year repenting for. I don't know if you know that, Joshua Harris. But I'm pro-dating. When people understand God, they have a high view of God, they have a reality view of sin, and they understand that if I honor others in my world, it can go well with us. I dated a girl for a year and a half. I loved her. She broke up with me the night before we went on a three-week mission trip in the same car together. I was shattered. But you know what? We're still friends. And every year on my birthday, we still get notes and messages. We're still friends. Why? Because we knew what the boundaries were. We knew what space we were. And I knew that I was just a steward of someone in that space. And I, and I wasn't her leader. I was just someone to come alongside as God revealed more to me. And, and if we do that well and we give people courage for that story, there's life on the other side of that. But there's an understanding, the authority of God. I, I want to give you some understanding of resistance in my world. I'm a pastor. And, and they go tumbling down quickly when this stuff gets in the game. What does it look like for me? Well, I try to avoid private interactions with women to the end. And if I do, it'll be in that room, generally where glass windows are everywhere or the door and the door open. And if the door can't be open, there'll be glass. If I give someone a lift of the other opposite sex, doesn't matter age, doesn't matter. I'll send an SMS to a friend of mine. So I'm giving this person a lift. This is the person. This is the time. And I'll message them when I've dropped them off. Why? Because the Bible says beyond reproach. The Bible says, do you understand the implications of when this fire begins to burn and begins to go wild and cause chaos? Just some other things. And, and, and I'm all good with hugging. I'm a hugger, but I don't need a whole lot of touching. 
And uh, we've got to be careful with these things, especially in the marketplace where people don't have our worldview and they don't have a high view of God and they don't know that there is eternal ramifications to our sexuality. We've got to lead the way. It's not about being a prude. It's about representing Jesus to a world who are looking for him. Is that okay? I, I want to fight. And, and our, our, our conscience, we understand these things, is a, is a challenge. Sometimes you've got to drop TV. If TV is a problem for you. So I, I spoke to one guy who said, uh, I just cannot stop driving along Essenwood Road. And if you're from Durban, you know Essenwood Road. All the Musgrave mommies run in their athletic gear on a morning. Yes, it happens. He says, I just can't stop. Sometimes I go around the block and I drive it again. I'm like, stop driving on Musgrave Road. There are many other roads to drive on. Because it's real. And some of you are looking at me like, what's wrong with that guy? No, he's just falling into temptation. He's struggling. He's fighting a battle, and he doesn't know how to. And we have to give people, speak language, speak life, stay away from compromising situations. You've got to understand the value of another person, even when they don't. It's a hard thing, that. When someone's throwing themselves at you, because they don't know that they are valuable, because they've never encountered the love of a father, your job in that moment is not anything other than to reveal That God loves them. And you know how you do that? You treat them in the way God would. You respect their honor. You fight for their purity. telling you, it's a sign and wonder to this world. Number four, as I move on, Joseph had a high view or a healthy view of himself. He says, she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So we know, and, and 1 Corinthians wasn't penned yet, but he understood this concept of fleeing. He also understood that even a fancy cloak wasn't worth what it would cost. What do I mean? Well, Joseph paid the price for running and ended up in jail, but he didn't have to pay the price for staying. We're not very good at doing the maths. We understand as we read the script, there was a price for running. He went to jail. And not just an ordinary jail, he went to the jail where the king's enemies went. That wouldn't have been a good place. But what was the price for staying? Would God still be with him? Would he still know God's awareness? Was he still aware? Was his heart? Or would he go like Adam and Eve in the garden, start hiding with fig leaves because of guilt and shame that the enemy's a master of? See, Jesus puts it this way. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to throw it into hell. He uses hyperbolic language to explain to us the implications of sexual temptation and sin. We need to speak about this stuff because it brings a life when we understand who God is in these things. Joseph understood the price of staying was jail. He also understood the price price of running was jail. The price of staying was more. See, David laments. And, and, and we, we see that reality. We understand God's men faced up to these challenges and women faced up to these challenges all the time. It says of Moses in Hebrews 11, By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. To follow Jesus is to make decisions that will land us in mistreatment, disgrace, sometimes a king's anger, just like Moses. That's what to follow Jesus looks like. While Joseph was was in prison, God's favor is upon him. And he starts to rise up again. You know why? 
Because the safest place for any believer in the love of Jesus is in his presence. For David, it was on a battlefield fighting Goliath, who he had no skills to defeat. For Daniel, it was in a pit with a lion. For Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, it was in a pit of fire. For Joseph, it was running away from Potiphar's wife. The safest place we can be in 2018 is pursuing his presence, his grace, his ways in our life. I'm telling you. And momentary pleasures will come and go. But Jesus takes us on a journey of temptation in these last three minutes. He's tempted in a desert in Luke 4. He's been fasting for 40 days. I don't know about you, but when I've been fasting for three days, stale bread looks like bread and butter pudding. It's, it's just what happens. And Jesus is there. He's been fasting for 40 days. And the Bible tells us we have a Savior who's been tempted in every way. Every way. In Hebrews, it tells us, a priest, high priest, Jesus. And Jesus and the devil comes to him and gives him the first challenge and says, you're hungry, your, your body has needs, you have desires, you have appetites. Turn this bread, this, turn the stone into bread. What was Jesus' response? He says, man shall not live on bread alone. When temptation comes into our life, there's a decision to be made. Will we take this Stone as bread, or we trust God for the feast that is Him. That statement, man does not live on bread alone, is the imagery of a young chickling receiving food from its parent, its mother, from the mouth of the mother. There's a statement of, God, it's your word and your word alone that I trust. If you're single and wrestling right now, sexuality and desires, I'm telling you the only way through to an inheritance that is good is to trust God and His word. And it will surprise you when God brings his life. Because you're not trying to beat it out of a stone. You're trusting him. Trust the word of God in 2018. You can read a thousand cosmos. You can read a thousand men's health. You can read a thousand blogs by a thousand people you don't know. Or you can trust God who he says he is. You can trust him. And in trusting him, there is a journey of sexuality that will lead to life. And it will be different for all of us. But God's grace and hand will be with us. And God's men and women will rise. Secondly, the enemy comes and challenges and says, if you bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Remember standing, I've told this story before. Nine, 18 years old, still at school, playing first division cricket with some of my heroes. One or two Springboks. And I'm playing and we go out for now. And they say, no, we're going out. It's the Evords dinner. And then we go out, and then the wives go home, and I'm going, that's cool. I don't have a license. I'm in someone's car. Next minute, we're outside a notorious strip club in Durban. We've got a decision to make. I'm so grateful to God that I've known him since a young age. And I walked home for three hours. Everything inside of me wanted to be inside, but God was not inside. Everything inside of me wanted the affirmation of those men. But God wasn't with that affirmation. And we've got to go on those journeys. We have to trust God that ultimately it's his grace in our lives that brings his goodness. We've got to stop trusting for stones to become bread and start trusting the giver of the feast that is in Jesus. It says amazing thing in that scripture, Luke 4, says the devil led him to a high place. The devil can lead you to some high places. They'll look good. They'll have great views. 
and you'll see things. I think the devil led David to a high place where he saw Bathsheba. Let us trust God. And lastly, Jesus says, as the enemy comes, says he leads him up and he says, jump from this temple and let God's angels catch you and, and, and protect you and they'll lift you up in their hands. And Daniel, uh, Jesus just says, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. I think we're living in an era where we feel license and liberty to test God. As we do this series, we aren't doing it to tell you how to do the story. We're just trying to present God. I don't want to give you five rules on what it looks like to live a life and make good choices. That won't work. What works is who is God? The Savior of the world, the holder of eternity in His hands, the one who loves from Nepal, India to Cape Town. He redeems and restores the same grace that if you've walked in here sexually broken, God wants to take you on a journey of restoration. That if you come in here and you're confused, there is no confusion in His word. Find Him, find life, and trust Him. If you're here wrestling, as we spoke around homosexuality two weeks ago, and, and I've had an encounter with different people who've wrestled same-sex attraction, going, trust God. Trust God. I don't have the answers. And anyone who tells you they do, run. But trust God, because He does. And His grace is perfect, and His truth is perfect, and He never surrenders the one for the other. Trust God. If your marriage is in the wilderness... Trust God. Humble yourself. See, before submit yourself to God, in James chapter 4, it says, God opposes the proud. You want a marriage where your sexuality is healthy and full of life? Humble yourself. Not my words, His words. And I promise you, God will reveal His church to a world that is a sign and a wonder. As marriages who've been rocking for 50 years talk about all they want to be together. My mom was here looking after our kids. We were in Doha. And I phoned my dad. I said, how are you doing? He says, I hate it. I said, what do you mean? I can't handle your mom being away for one day, two days. I want her by my side. I want her there snuggling next to me. I'm going, thank you, Jesus, that there are examples for us. How many still know, I can't wait to go on a business trip, get away from the kids, the wife. No, no, no. What God does. Let us trust God at this point.